if you go into an environment that's less Christian and you don't get plugged in with Christians, you're more likely to look around what other people believe and start copying what they believe. Every time you say, I doubt Christianity, your doubt is based on actually an assumption of faith, which itself needs to be justified very often can't be. So let me give you three examples. Number one. Bruce Lawn. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. When Tim Keller confronted Google to their face about some of their views about God and religion. Part two. All right, we already covered this in one video. We're going to look at this again, pick it up from about the 12-minute mark. This is a fascinating conversation. If you haven't watched the first part of this video, you really should go back and watch. Check this out. It means this logically leads to that. <laughs> when you say, so, it, we, we think that somehow what comes before the so should lead you to do what comes after the so, right? And here's the question. The first part of that statement is a bracing, wonderfully honest look at what it means to believe in a materialist universe. You're not here for any purpose. No one put you here. You uh, came up through evolution, red and tooth and claw, you know, the strong eating the weak. Your ancestors are, you're only here because your ancestors killed weaker uh, organisms. And in the end, uh, eventually, you're going to die, then the sun is going to die, then civilization will die. And in the end, whether you're a genocidal maniac or whether you're an altruist and philanthropist will make no difference in the end. There won't be anybody around to remember anything that anyone's ever done. So in the end, nothing you do will matter, right? Therefore, he says, love one another. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you're considering the paradigm and then the prescription of said paradigm. If that's really the paradigm that people are coming from, why would it? Why would anybody need to love anybody? You would, it would just be all about self-preservation and getting yours, right? It's, it's, it's incoherent and inconsistent when you remove God from the equation. See, here's the question. If that's the case, the nature of the universe, why should I love other people? Mm. If my ancestor got here by, by destroying and eating the weaker organisms, why should I now suddenly become unselfish? And the answer is, if you want to believe in humanistic values, I'm glad, by the way. I am really glad. The more people that believe in humanistic values, I think the better the world will be. But it doesn't follow from your view of the universe at all. It's mm. a huge leap of faith, unbelievable leap of faith. It doesn't take huge faith to go from the Hindu view of the universe to humanistic values or from the Christian view of the universe to humanistic values. But it does from the materialistic, the secular view to humanistic values. You can believe them, but don't tell me that that's not a leap of faith. It's an and and he's, he's building this on the idea that every worldview, not just religious ones, are built on a combination of faith, feelings, and reason. Enormous leap of faith. And you know who's going to tell you? Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche is going to say, and this is what he did say, and he argued incredibly, uh, I would say, in an incredibly convincing way. He would say, if you say, I'm an atheist, and then you say, but we should not starve the poor, and we should treat everybody uh, as with, uh, and honor their equal rights, he says, you're still a Christian, whether you admit it or not. Mm. Because he says, those ideas came historically into the Western society when people believed in the Christian understanding of the universe, that you're here for a purpose, and you're made by a loving God, and you're made in the image of God, and all human beings are, are children of God. And all. He says, those values made sense when we believe the Christian view of the universe, but we don't believe that anymore, and therefore, if you hold on to those values, you're actually being a Christian and a very, very inconsistent person. Holy moly. Frederick Nietzsche is dropping gems. If you believe in all these values, you're still a Christian. You're just a very inconsistent person. Wow. Even though you won't admit it. And I don't think you can answer Nietzsche. So now here's where we are. Fundamentally, there are no irreligious people. 
Hmm. At one level, absolutely everybody has a set of beliefs, including secular people and irreligious people, have a set of beliefs about the universe that A, you can't prove empirically, B, it are not self-evident to most of the rest of the world. See, even if you can't prove something, sometimes you can say, but everybody knows that. Well, you can't say that about any particular set of beliefs about the universe. So in other words, they're, they're, you can't prove them. If you're a secular person, your beliefs, you can't prove, B, uh, your beliefs are not self-evident to most people in the world, and C, as I'm going to show you here in a second, is your beliefs have as many contradictions and problems that attend to them as any religious faith does. So what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, me, there's no way to know the truth? No, 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 no. See, I'm trying to say everybody gets to their position, religious people and irreligious people get to their beliefs, because in the end what you hold is a belief, mm -hmm. by a combination of reason and intuition. Um, so for example, how do you use your reason to come to a conclusion? One is you look at the, the logical consistency of your beliefs. That's using reason. Another thing you asked, do the things I believe fit in with what's out there in the world? Does it fit in with what I see happening in the world? That's using reason. But then there's also a part, frankly, everybody to some degree or other also uses their emotions when it mm -hmm. comes to believing what they believe. Mm -hmm. And they also look socially. They say, I see other people who have these beliefs. Right. Uh, and how's that affecting their life? Right. So basically, so I, uh, all my buddies that moved to New York, uh, or a lot of folks I know that moved to New York, not all, but folks who moved to New York and don't get plugged into a church right away end up deconverting their faith. They're more likely to convert it. Why? Because they're looking at socially what's going on versus people that I know that are born and raised in New York and go to church their whole life tend to be more anchored in their faith. If you go into an environment that's less Christian and you don't get plugged in with Christians, you're more likely to look around what other people believe and start copying what they believe. The way any particular set of beliefs comes to make sense to you is for emotional, cultural, and rational reasons. It has to make sense to you emotionally. It has to make sense to you socially, culturally. You see it, how, how the belief fleshes out in the lives of other people. And then thirdly, it does have to be logically consistent, and there right. does need to be rational reasons too. And so everybody uses those three things to get to their beliefs. Now, what I do in the rest of this book, and the other books already been mentioned, The Reason for God, is I lay out mainly in this book the emotional and cultural reasons why Christianity tends to make sense to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, I start going into the rational reasons, the more traditional kind of arguments for, for God and Christianity. But I start, it, I start it, but on the other hand, I finish it, you might say, in The Reason for God. So if somebody asks me, what's the relationship of make, making sense of God to Reason for God? They say, is making sense of God a sequel to Reason for God? I say, no, it's a prequel. Interesting. Because basically, the way we get there is we use our, our, our emotions, we use our relationships, and we use our reason to decide what we think about the universe. Now, what I'm going to do in only um, six, seven minutes, I guess, is I'm going to actually tell you what I say in these other books as the emotional and social and rational reasons why Christianity does come to make sense to a lot of people. But I'm actually going to do it as a series of assertions. So this could be infuriating to many people. So I'm really hoping that here at Google, you know, we're all civilized and you don't, you don't rush the, the podium snarling at me. Because I'm not going to make the case for any one of these assertions. I'm going to say people who find Christianity making sense come to believe this. And in the books, I actually lay out all kinds of reasons for why. So in other words, nothing I'm about to tell you is really groundless. It just I love how this is, this, is, this is so genius, but he's also kind of pointing them back to his books, which I, I hope some of these folks read. It's just going to, nothing, it's, it's all got, they've all got, in the end, if you read the books, you might disagree. But what I'm saying is not arbitrary or groundless, okay? Mm. None of the things, they're all kind of worked out in the books. But if I was going to make a case in five minutes, which, I'm, which I am, for why Christianity can make sense to, for, for a lot of people and how it makes sense for a lot of people, I would say Christianity comes to make sense for us when we see three things. When we see the faith it takes to doubt it, that is Christianity, the faith it takes to doubt it, the problems we have without it, and the beauty we see within it.
Mm. Wow. The faith. I mean, I got to pull that back. When we see the faith it takes to doubt it, the problems we have without it, and the beauty we see within it. The faith it takes to doubt it, the problems we have without it, and the beauty of what we see in it. That's like that is that's good. Now, what do I mean by that? First of all, fast here. The faith it takes to doubt it. One of the ways in which people who are doubting Christianity come to embrace it is when they realize that all their doubts, every one of their doubts, is always based on a leap of faith, mm. which is harder to justify than the thing they're doubting. Follow that? And, I'm, wasn't that easy? No, I didn't. In other words, hey, you want to see something kind of crazy? Over 75% of the people that watch this channel are not subscribe please consider subscribing and turning your bell notification on so that you don't miss anything we have going here all right peace every time you say i doubt christianity your doubt is based on actually an assumption of faith which itself needs to be justified very often can't be so let me give you three examples number mm. one one of the objections i hear to christianity all the time is uh there can't just be one true way to believe there can't be one true faith there can't be one true way to god there just can't be one true way to believe and here's the problem with that. How, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's an assertion, not an argument. Mm. How do you know? How do you know that? That there's not one true way. The only way to know that there's not one true way to God would be actually if you have the ultimate perspective on truth that you just said nobody's allowed to have. And actually, what that means is that you are, uh, your, your doubt is based on an assessment of your perspective, which actually is a major leap of faith, and I think it's hard to justify. Mm. Here's a second one. People say, I can't believe in a God who allows such evil and suffering. Now, by the way, I'm a pastor. I am not just, I am not a, a scholar. I'm not a, an academic. I'm not a person who mainly does thinking. <laughs> I'm a pastor. So I've walked with plenty of people through, through, through horrible suffering. Mm. So what I'm saying here, I do not mean to be so cursory. I told you this is the problem with what I'm about to do. Is, but, but here's the point. When someone says, I can't believe in God because he allows such evil and suffering, what you actually are saying is this. Because I can't think of any good reason why God would allow evil and suffering. Therefore, there can't be any good reason. Mm. Because wow. I can't think of it. He can't possibly have one that I can't think of. See, the only way to walk away from God is to assume there can't be a good reason. And why can't there be a good reason? Because you can't think of it. But why in the world, if there is a God, couldn't he might, maybe, maybe, maybe he's got an idea that you don't have. Man, I'm not, I'm not saying I've gone through like the most amount of suffering in my life. You guys are gonna think this is crazy, but I've 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 gone through quite a few things. I've I've, I've you know grew up without my dad in my life. Grew up having been uh, multiple times victim of essay and and in, in pretty dehumanizing ways. Dealing with the shame of that. I've I've my mother was an alcoholic. She recently recently my mom stopped drinking. Like like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, grew up poor. I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't change any of it. All the evil that has happened to me, all this, all the sin against me, and all the subsequent trauma that then I had to sort through, has paradoxically made me who I am and got me to where I am now, which is an amazing place. Now, maybe I'm just built different, but from people I know who go through hard things, a lot of them end up coming out on the other side of them better, right? And some, But sometimes sometimes they don't because people react to trauma different, right? People react to trauma different. But in my life, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have changed anything. And so it just reminds me of that passage in Genesis where Joseph's brother is selling him into slavery and then he finally comes full circle and he's, he's the right hand of Pharaoh and he tells him that which you meant for evil, God meant for good.
you know? And I've lost, by the way, I've lost, you know, recently I lost a friend, young, young guy, early, or early mid twenties, lost, lost someone, you know, that was, that was, I would say a friend and lived in a studio and, um, you know, lost, we lost him to, to cancer. It didn't make any sense. Right. Um, when I was 19, my best friend was 20, passed away. So I've like seen like suffering up close. I've seen people struggle, but generally I believe that if God can use it for good in my life on this side of eternity, I believe that there's a greater point to it. I don't know it. I'm going to have a lot of questions when I get to heaven, but that's, I don't know. That's, that, that, that's how I've always seen it. And you see ancient people, philosophers have pointed out that ancient people, though they struggled with evil and suffering, never thought evil and suffering was a reason not to believe in God. You know why? Because they were humbler about the human reason. We mm. are not so humble. Mm. We have an assumption that we have the powers of exhaustive surveillance, that we should be able to look at the universe. And if we can't think of anything, mm. I mean, our ancestors would never have been this arrogant mm. because we can't think of any good reason for evil and suffering. Therefore, there can't be any. So you see, you're actually assuming something. Mm. You have a doubt, but it's based on a faith in yourself, which is, you know, how justifiable is it? Here we give you one more. There are lots and lots and lots of um, uh, objections to various parts of the Bible. And uh, you need to realize that virtually, virtually all the objections you might have to things the Bible teaches uh, are based on high faith in your culture and the superiority of your culture. Mm -hmm. So, for example, years ago, not too long ago, I once talked about Christianity to a Chinese um, graduate student, brilliant young man, uh, was in Britain when I was at the time. And you know what? He had no problem with the idea that God would send people to hell. No problem at all. Because he says, you know, I, you know I'm, not a, I'm not a Westerner. And I said, the idea that God might have the authority to send people to hell doesn't bother me. He said, I have no problem with that exercise of authority. <laughs> but he says, what I can't accept is this. The individualistic nature of Christian salvation means that if I believe in Jesus Christ, I would not be with my ancestors. And I don't want to believe anything that would separate me from my ancestors. Hmm. Now, my guess is the average Manhattan young professional, is that's not the main problem they have with the Bible. Okay, I talked to a Middle Eastern intellectual over there. And what she believed, interestingly enough, was she says, I have no problem with the idea that God would send people to hell. No problem at all. You know, if there is a God, why couldn't he do that? He created us. Doesn't he own us? Why? What the, yeah. But then she said, but she cannot accept what the Bible says about forgiveness. This mm. idea that we are obligated to forgive no matter what the other person has done, that we have to forgive. And you know, even though most young Manhattanites don't think about the difficulty of that, generally speaking, that's not another reason why you're, it's probably not the average New Yorker's problem with the right. Bible that it talks about forgiveness too much. Right, 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 right. However, the average New Yorker is going to say, I just can't accept a God who would send people to hell. You know why? Because what you're, at that moment, what you're saying is, my cultural location is superior to theirs. Woo! My culture is absolutely right. Wow. And it's never going to change. You know, for all you know, 100 years from now, your great-grandchildren will think that your approach to things is stupid. In fact, inevitably, they will, by the way. <laughs> if, if, if the record of your political views is somehow preserved, your great-grandchildren would think you are horrible. Hmm. And yet on the basis of, of your cultural location, which you're kind of absolutizing, on the basis of your historical moment, which you're kind of absolutizing, you're going to throw the whole Bible over. Hmm. See, every doubt of the Bible is based on incredible faith in something else which is really hard to justify. Wow. Faith that takes to doubt it. Do you see that? That's a, virtually always, Christianity starts to make sense when you begin to see what incredible faith it takes to doubt it. Secondly, the problems you have without it. And I'm really going to... Wow, that's good, man. Because if you, if you really think about the objections that people in the West have, they are, yeah, they are very Western, first world type of paradigms around these topics, you know, that are, are just different, you know? And, and maybe because I'm an immigrant, I, I've never really had an issue with the hell part. <laughs> and, I've, and I've also seen evil first, firsthand, up close. It would be fast, but here's the point. There are emotional, cultural, and rational problems 
with not believing in God. Mm. Now here I'm kind of going at secularism, and, and of course you do have to weigh Christianity and other religions and secularism, but I don't have time for that, unless you want to ask me about it. But here's the problems. Number one, if you don't believe in God, there is a problem with meaning, because mm -hmm. the meaning that you create for yourself will be too thin for you to handle suffering. Woo! Secular culture, unlike uh, religious cultures, do, do get, make you find your meaning in life in something here, which means suffering can take it away. And every other culture, whether it's Hindu or Islam or Christian, every other kind of religion helps you locate your meaning in life outside of this life so that suffering can actually help you accomplish your meaning in life. Mm. But if you're a secular person, suffering will destroy your meaning in life. Mm. And secular culture gives its members less resources to deal with suffering than any culture in the history of the world. And we are much more traumatized by it. Number two, it was these. Secularism, the idea there's no God, gives you a view of identity which is incredibly fra fragile. Mm -hmm. Every other religion says you find who you are by connecting to something more important than you. The secular culture says you find your identity by looking inside and doing whatever you think you want to do most, and you assert it over and against everybody else. And lots and lots of studies have shown that that kind of identity, which is really unique, it, it, it's not the way it works in the rest of the world or in history, makes you incredibly fragile because you, you desperately need a kind of recognition that it actually can enslave you. Yeah, if, you're, if your entire identity is from the inside out, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Man, Timothy Keller is so brilliant. Let me know if you guys want me to do a part three of this. I, I love this. He, he goes deeper into identity and freedom in this, and then multiple faiths, religious reasons, genius of Christianity with some Q&As. Wow, this such a, there's so much depth in this, man. I, I love this clip. I think it is so good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like I said, I've been going deep into trying to better understand paradigms that are void of a gospel-centered worldview. And man, when you get to the bottom of some of that stuff, it is so dark. So I think I'm going to be presenting some 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 different clips and some different essential essential beliefs that as as I'm discovering these things, you you just find out that there are people who are just as religious about being non-religious. There are people that are just as religious about their political ideology. And it is it is dark because the conclusions of the of it is just it's wild. Hey, this is a segment from our daily after party stream. Consider partnering with us online for as little as $5 a month to get access to these daily after party streams completely unedited. You'll also get access to our podcast as they are streamed live into the community before anyone else gets to see them, get to interact with our guests, get access to our private Discord server, and a discount code for our store for as little as $5 a month. Ultimately, that will help towards helping us continue contextualizing the gospel using media and podcast here on YouTube. All right, I'll see you over there. Peace.